very start of this podcast is we are not lawyers i am not a lawyer please seek legal advice from your lawyer take all of this advice with a giant grain of himalayan rock salt oh curtis you could restore it all Welcome to BackupCentral.com's Restore It All podcast. This is your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I'm the Chief Technologist at Druva. My co-host has 15 years of technical experience in the storage industry, and we're lucky to have him as Druva's Director of Product Architecture. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast, Prasanna Maliandi. Great to be here, Curtis. Happy to have you. Speaking of Druva, we should state the opinions you hear on the broadcast are our own. Let's get started. It is just after the one-year anniversary of the GDPR, which is the Global Data Protection Regulations, which are actually out of Europe, but they pertain to the entire globe as long as you are doing any business with anyone in the EU. Let's talk about this basic right to privacy. I think the number one thing is that it is your personal data, and you have a right to privacy of that data. And this goes beyond what we think of in the U.S. when we talk about PII. Personal data, as defined by the GDPR, is way bigger than PII. PII tends to be things like your social security number and things like that. This is any group of data that put together can identify you, right? So your name, your address, your IP address. My DNA? Your DNA would be a perfect and scary example of that. There can be companies that do store DNA, and that would fall under this as well. So the idea is that if companies are going to store your personal data, you need to be able to agree to what they're going to store, why they're going to store it, and how long they're going to store it. I mean, do you think that's a reasonable request? Oh, totally. Like, it scares me if I think back in the day when the internet first started, like, everyone was just signing up left and right for all these sites. And it's like, how are they actually going to use your data? How long are they going to keep it? Yeah. And now you look at, for example, the biggest fine, although I don't know if it's the biggest in terms of percentage of, of the revenue, but the biggest fine so far was 50 million euro. And it's and it was Google and they were fined for basically just not being upfront about what they were doing and why they were doing it. Right. So it's not even it's like they had a valid business reason, but their biggest mistake was that they didn't tell their customers what they were doing with the data. So you have to give your consent. Another interesting aspect of it is if you are a processor of the data, that you then have a duty to hold on to the data in in a safe manner. This includes what we traditionally think of when we think of data security, like encryption, access control, firewalls, intrusion detection and prevention, also data protection. But then one really interesting thing is also making sure that the appropriate people have access and people that aren't appropriate don't have access. And I think the best example of that is there was a hospital in Portugal and everybody who needed to access patient records, the way that was done was they gave doctor level access, right? So that was basically the access level. If you needed to see patient records, you were made to be a doctor, which is how they resulted in creating 900 
doctor accounts for 400 doctors, meaning they had a whole lot more people who had doctor level access than there were doctors. But here's a question, though. In a properly architected system, you want to make sure people have the right access to the right data. If I go back and think about an enterprise or in a company where someone is doing test and development and need access to production data, right? A lot of times you're not just going to give like your entire database with all the social security numbers and everything else, right? Normally there's data masking or some other processing that happens before the developers get access to your actual production database. And so my question is, in a properly architected system, right, you shouldn't necessarily have the scenario you talked about, right, where you have had 900 people who had access, but only 400 doctors. Correct. And that was absolutely the finding of the commission that the way they had designed this was not a properly designed system because not only did 500 non-doctors have access that shouldn't have been given doctor level access, every doctor had access to every patient record as opposed to just having access to the records of the patients that were their actual patients. One of the phrases with the GDPR is this idea of security by design and by default, that personal data, and I don't know if we could come up with a more personal set of data than medical record. If you're going to grant someone access to a set of personal data, then you need to do so in the most restrictive way possible. Yeah, no, I totally agree. If my wife calls in and wants me to make an appointment for her doctors or to check up on a bill or something like that, like I don't even have any access to even be able to talk to the doctor's office right, about my right. wife. And neither should the billing department have access to your wife's medical condition other than to know which medical service to bill her for. Exactly. That's this idea that you're a long standing Unix guy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this reminds me of 777. Oh, (laughs) so it's really easy when we need a bunch of groups of people to access a given directory. It's easy to chamat 777 and boom, problem solved. But now the entire world has access to that directory. So that's the thing is we need to do all of those things and to do everything we can to make sure that only the people that should have access to the data have access. And then subsequently, the, the flip side of that is to make sure that people that need access to that data have access, which would mean that the data doesn't get lost or doesn't get deleted or corrupted or whatever, right? So that falls into, you're in my world, the data protection world, making sure that stuff is backed up. Exactly. And I think one of the hardest parts, right, like that example you gave, it's just so much more convenient to just give everyone access than to really figure out who are those select people and why do they need access? Yeah. And I think that the commission, they're basically saying that nonsense needs to stop. This person's right to privacy supersedes your right to a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) no it's true right it's how many times have you done something a bit lazily because hey it's easier yeah yeah. without necessarily thinking through all the implications it's a person who's dedicated 20 years to um to helping people (laughs) back up and it was always easier to do backups if we let all the security walls down so i i totally understand it it's always been that sort of war but but basically what this is saying is well you need to figure it out Let's get to the two biggest elements that I think really come into our world, which is this right to access and a right to erasure, which is usually referred to as the right to be forgotten. If a company has personal data of yours, you have the right to ask them for all of the personal data that 
they have on you. That only applies, though, if you're an EU citizen today. That only applies if you are an EU citizen who has been targeted by a company of any sort. Specifically, an EU citizen living in the EU that has been targeted by a company. What I mean there is marketing. So if an EU citizen, if you're not targeting the EU, but an EU citizen living in the EU happens to fill out your form, that's not actually covered under the GDPR. But if you have a campaign that you're specifically targeting Germany, for example, then you are definitely subject to the GDPR for those people that live there that responded to your campaign. Very nuanced. It's very nuanced. They wanted to make sure that, I think they gave some outs, right? So if you're an American company and you have no intention of doing anything in Europe, but some random European fills out one of your forms, that's not what they're worried about. They're worried about a company that's targeting EU citizens. One of the things that I read was there are a number of pending cases where the commission is saying we haven't yet fined American companies. Google doesn't count because it was a European version of Google that they find, but watch this space. That's basically what the commission said that they've- Yeah, like you said, it's all up and coming, right? It's only been a year. Yeah, exactly. One final aspect of making sure you protect data that you're storing is if you are aware of a breach, you have to notify. You need to notify the commission and and you need to do a best effort to notify those affected by the breach. And that's, again, very similar to the law that was in California, that one aspect of it. That's huge. Like as a consumer, half the time you never know, has a company been breached? Is my data safe until it shows up somewhere on the dark web or somewhere else where you hear about it in some news, right? So yeah, I I remember that when you first started seeing these notifications, I got like three breaches right in a row. So I just basically like, I don't know, I just put at that point, I just put my social security number up on the web and said, here, <laughs> I was like, like, give it up, I give up, you know? Um, so let's talk about this concept of the right to erasure or the right to be forgotten. So if I ask you for all of your data and you no longer have a business reason to keep that data, then I have the right to ask you to delete it. And there's a lot of ifs there. If you have a valid reason to keep it, you're allowed to keep it, such as we're not talking about customer records. You have a valid business reason to keep records on your customers and the things that they have ordered. Where I see this really applying is marketing data. So I have filled out a form. I have visited your website. We downloaded some cookies. There's some GDPR privacy notice that I clicked on there. And you have my data and I would like you to not have my data anymore. So I want to ask you to delete it. Do they have a certain amount of time that it has to be deleted? It's not specified. I think that it should be soon, right? Yeah. Which that aspect of it, that could be an interesting response when we start talking about the big question here, which is you and I live, I mean, we both work for Druva. We live and work in the data protection space. And a lot of people are worried that the GDPR is going to be interpreted to include secondary copies, which includes everything from backups to snapshots. And I don't know how to respond to that in a way that doesn't sound self-serving to the company that I work for. It's a little insane though, right? It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack, except your haystack turns out to be like the entire world. Yeah. And and the thing is, you know, one of the things that, that I've said about this is that 
asking backup systems and archive systems and uh, snapshot systems to delete a piece of data within a bigger set of data that's in another data set, right? That's the problem is we've got multi-levels, right? So we've got a database record inside a database that's inside a backup of that database that might even be inside the equivalent of a tarball. So it might be like a database record inside Oracle that's inside an RMAN backup that's inside a pick your favorite backup product image. So it's like it's like three levels deep to get to that record. And I don't know how we could ever possibly delete that tiny piece from within the backup image in any way that doesn't corrupt the backup image. Oh, for sure. And also, what does it mean from like a compliance aspect, right? Like when you have Sarbanes-Oxley. So that, that so Sarbanes-Oxley would give you a business reason to keep it, right? So if you had a business reason to keep it, then it wouldn't apply. But the question is, if you no longer have a reason to keep it, but I just don't see how that ever gets addressed in secondary storage. And even, let's just say we magically figured out how to do that in backups, which I still can't even fathom how that could possibly be done. I look at snapshots. And again, snapshots are by design made to be read-only because that's kind of their point, right? It's just, it's just like, it's like backups, exactly. right? So, you know, I don't care whether it's a traditional backup going all the way back to dump and tar, or it's a more modern way of doing backup, the way we do things, which is block level incremental with, with deduplication. All, all of them are based around this concept of the number one job of the of that copy is to remember. And now you're asking it to forget. Say I'm a customer and I say, okay, I have all this data, marketing data, and it's not GDPR compliant, right? Because someone can ask to be forgotten. Maybe I just won't back it up. Is that a good alternative for customers? My heart just went pitter-patter a little bit. <laughs> Whenever anybody <laughs> says to me, you know, what, what, what if we just don't back it up? I just, you know, my heart flutters. I think <laughs> a perfectly valid reason with a different risk profile. So if you say, for example, this, let's just say, okay, so let me just start. I think salesforce.com data, SFDC data should be backed up. Let's just put that right there. All SaaS data. So Office 365, G Suite, Salesforce, all those things. I think they should be backed up. Having said that, you could, for example, say all marketing form data gets put into this object in Salesforce and then you could theoretically configure your backup system so that it doesn't back up that Salesforce object. And therefore, the greatest risk to your company is if that Salesforce object is ever deleted, you would then lose all of your sales opportunities for the quarter and future quarters if you have a, if you have a sales cycle like ours. So bad idea not to back it up. I think it's a bad idea. Right? I mean, that's a bad idea all the time to not back up something, right? Because could potentially lose all sales for the quarter, which is still worse than the the largest fine possible under the GDPR, which is 4% of your annual revenue, which has not happened yet. No, nowhere near that percentage has happened yet. And based on the activity that we've seen from the GDPR, I'm inferring from that, that they're going to reserve that for the worst of the worst of the worst offenders. Of You clearly are just ignoring all aspects of the GDPR, and you just clearly don't care about customers' data. Like a flagrant, flagrant, yeah, like a flagrant. Violence. Right, right, and and so we're going to fine you four percent of your annual revenue. They call it 
global turnover, which is a more international term. But going back to the right to be forgotten. So how do I know? So if I say I want my data to be forgotten, how do I know that the company has actually complied? Because they told you so. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's really all you have. You have a written correspondence from that company that they have complied with your request or when they will comply with your request. I would say the best example of that is that you stop getting emails or mailings from that company. And that if you continue to get emailings or phone calls or mailings from that company, then clearly they haven't complied with your request. Gotcha. So it's kind of like how the FCC in the U.S. has their do not call list. And if a company calls you and you're on the do not call list, then they can get fined. Yes. That's a whole other bag of worms. But yes. Um, No, it's can of worms. (laughs) It's funny. I'm I'm a gardener. And I actually buy worms from my garden and they come in bags. So in my house, it's a bag of worms, but whatever. <laughs> but when you read some of the GDPR forums and things like that, where everyday consumers are commenting on it, when I made comments along this line where I said, look, it's not technically feasible, some of them were like, listen, the GDPR doesn't care. doesn't care whether or not it's costly, you know, because one of the things I would say was that the only way to possibly do this is to restore every version of every backup, delete the data that you're talking about, and then back them up again, which would be like the most insane idea ever. (laughs) And you would have to do that every single time that any person asked to have their data deleted. I think it, it does maybe behoove you to segregate the data, to identify what databases and what other storage elements in your company have personal data so that you can quickly identify identify that. And if there is a risk or there's a change or the GDPR comes back and says, hey, backups are still storage and they're subject, I think at this time, you should definitely be segregating that data. So you and I work for Druva. I know that we did a lot of things along the lines of making sure that we do our best to help customers conform to things like data protection and making sure that the data is safely stored oh, yeah. so that it doesn't get deleted. I mean, that's it's pretty much what we live for. For sure. Yeah. Yeah making sure that your data is there, that you can always restore it. Right. And we handle laptops, we handle data centers, and we handle SaaS services. My personal opinion is that the number one thing that people are going to go after from a right to erasure perspective is marketing data. Because if you've got my data in your marketing database and I am not a customer of yours, you have no valid business reason to keep that unless I give you permission to do so. Sure. So from an erasure perspective, when we look at things like Salesforce, we back up Salesforce, we do Office 365 and G Suite. I know that one of the things that we do, we support is the idea of if we have files that match a certain pattern, I know that we can search and identify files of a certain pattern, and then we can do a defensible deletion. We can watch the data strings as we're backing them up, and we can say, hey, Um, this data that matches this pattern is, it's showing up on this laptop. Exactly. Like, I don't know down where you live, Curtis, but up here in the Bay Area, there are so many sort of thefts in parking lots. Like people just go smash a car window, steal a laptop bag. And how many times have you read on the news about, hey, a laptop was stolen. It contained HR with a bunch of social security numbers. And oops, sorry, you're one of the ones affected. 
Right. And so one of that's another feature that we have, right, is remote wipe, right? So we can wipe that data. For a someone listening to this podcast, what would you recommend next? I would say if everything that we said on this podcast came as news to you, you definitely have some work to do. And there are lots of good articles that I think that give summary. Don't start by reading the entire GDPR. Read some summary articles. I've got a few on druva.com on my blog. I've got a few on backupcentral.com. Just educate yourself about the various things. But I'd say the two, I don't know, two or three biggest things. One is look to see who has access to this to personal data and make sure that they should have that access. And make sure that you have a process for revoking that access. This Portuguese hospital discovered that they hadn't deleted any accounts in like five years. It was a really bad, flagrant violation as far as the EU seemed to be concerned. And then I would also make sure that you know where all the personal data is stored so that you can respond to an access request. And regarding to this erasure question, here's what I think the biggest sort of the nugget that I can get out of what I've seen from the GDPR is whatever you're deciding to do, which is we're going to delete it from primary systems. We can't delete it from the backup system, but here's how we're going to deal with this. You have to be upfront about that. You have to notify this customer. We have deleted it where we can delete it. We cannot delete it from our backup system because the technology does not allow us to do so. And If that person reports you to the commission, they report you to the commission because it's about being upfront with what you're doing because the worst fines so far seem to be when you're playing fast and loose, when you're hiding. Gotcha. And I think this is also one of those things where until it gets put in front of the commission, we're not going to know how are we supposed to deal with backups. A year ago, when I wrote a bunch of articles and some of them uh, got picked up by Chris Meller over at the register. He got a quote from the commission that said they were going to provide guidance on this issue real soon. And have we seen the guidance? (laughs) (laughs) We have not. (laughs) I expect that at some point they will provide some guidance. I don't know what that guidance will be. I will be watching very closely to see what that is. Watch this space. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this premiere episode of Restore It All from BackupCentral.com. This is your host, W. Curtis Preston. Thank you so much to my co-host, Prasanna Maliandi. Make sure to click subscribe and tell us how we can make this podcast better. See you next time. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space
it'll be completely done. Maybe one day. It'll